very weighty and as pastor john was telling us about this dear brother who has given his whole life to the gospel i couldn't imagine giving my life to something that wasn't real to know that you came to the end of your life and there was nothing you held there was nothing of value that lasted i mean money's going to fade beauty's going to fade all these things that we can attain on earth are going to fade and as i'm listening to these guys talk on here Part of I am grieved because I'm thinking, you've dedicated 30 years to a false gospel. Yep. Like, and you're telling me that I can't believe the truth of the gospel. Like, I can't believe that there is a God who loves me, who would choose a path of salvation and redemption for me, that there's, not a, there's a God who doesn't want to make himself known to me. I mean, if you're telling me those things, then what do I have to live for? But yet on the flip of that, I do have something to live for. I live for a God who loves me and pursues me, a God who cares about me, a God who wants to make himself known to me and reveal his character and his purpose and his plan, and a God who's designed me Amen. for a unique purpose and given me the gifts I need to fulfill that. Hey, wait, Isn't that awesome? Let me just open with prayer. I'd asked him to open, but I just want to pray for us. Father, I just humble myself before you this morning, and I thank you for your mercy that covers people like me. I am grateful, O oh Lord. We are grateful. We thank you that our salvation is secure, finished, done through the propitiation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. Would you anoint us this morning, Lord, on the stage to speak with clarity and with an unction from heaven? Anoint our ears that we might hear. Lord, we want to know it more fully. We want to know it more simply and to be able to clearly articulate it to those who've not heard the gospel. Be honored in this place, Lord, as we um, concentrate and focus on making sure that we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, buddy. Well, good morning, church family. Good morning. <clears throat> so a lot kind of got thrown at us here um, in this segment, and an underlying tone throughout what's been going on is how people that are preaching a doctrine counter to the truth, the doctrine of demons, are setting up to lead you into the belief that there is universal salvation for all, that God is changing. Uh, Richard War makes the statement that a contemplative mind is the goal of life, and that that is not my goal. Uh, my goal is to live my life submitted to Christ, whatever that looks like. I've learned in the short time that I've been with God that it rarely looks like what I think it's going to look like. And so I have to set down my expectations of what my God-honoring life is going to look like. So I don't recognize a contemplative mind as the goal. I recognize hearing, good job, my faithful servant, my good and faithful servant. That, that's the goal of my life. And whether I abase or abound, the goal is to honor Christ in what I do. And I like, I don't like, but I'll say that when I'm about to pick apart somebody's argument. I like how you say this and then show them how it doesn't make sense. So he says, 
all religions are the same. They're universal. They're based in a cosmic Christ. Our goal is to be into a contemplative mind. And he says the higher religions have learned how to disconnect from this control tower, this, your mind. So he has a gradient scale of religions in his own mind. And he is diminishing Christ and Christ's finished work. Well, but at the same time, they're universal. So all are equal. Right, but, but the higher. higher minds would they would do this. So he's he is undermining his own argument with his ta- his statements. And I would like to bring some scripture to the table. Is that okay with everybody? Yes. Okay, so in Acts seventeen, eleven and twelve, this is Paul and Silas, they're on a missionary journey and they've made their way to Berea. And the people of Berea were more open minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. Listen to what they did, though. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, and many of the prominent Greek women and men. So what did they do? They engaged this control tower. They went back to the scriptures. They examined everything according to the word of God. Did they have the King James Holy Bible with the New Testament? No. So what did they have? They had the Holy Scriptures. That means that Paul is explaining to them that Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament covenant. And as they examine these Scriptures, they are using their mind, they are listening with an open mind to someone, but that's not their source. Paul was not their source. They went to Scripture. And then they said, I see it bears witness in my spirit that what you're saying is true according to Scripture. Not just because Paul's saying it, because God said it. And you're helping me understand what God is doing now. And so I reject the idea that we shut off this control tower. I encourage you to be a Berean. Study God's Word. We have the benefit today of having more resources than any other generation in history. Like if you kind of know a, a, a scripture fragment, throw it in the Google search bar and it will tell you the scripture. Then you can go to Bible Gateway, which is a free resource, and find the scripture. You have the ability with something in your pocket to be more studious than most people in history. So just be a Berean. When these people tell you these things, disconnect from your mind. God is immutable. Why would the, the Bible doesn't even make the claim that it's inerrant. And, and often I find myself wondering if these people have ever read the Bible because the Bible repetitively makes reference to the inerrancy yeah. of the Word of God. You, ha- you have to remember, too, when he said the Bible does not refer to itself as being inerrant. Well, these holy men of God, as the Spirit moved upon them, did not know they were writing the Bible. God is the one that kept it uh, not only together, but made it symmetrical and connected and congruent and never contradicting itself. Now, I want to address, and there's, there's so much in this. You, you could take, you know, 10 seconds on the video. I do this in my office and stop and just write out all these different things and understand that the devil's plan is so multifaceted that one part of the plan will appeal to you and another part will not appeal to you. And when you hear a false statement like the higher religions disconnect from this control tower, it leads into a part of Christianity, especially in the Pentecostal charismatic circles, which I am of. 
I am a tongue talker. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I've heard it. I've heard it. I've seen it on stage. Just clear your mind. Just be open. Just more, 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 more. More of what? If I've cleared my mind. Let me tell you how that is dangerous. The Bible says that God himself in fulfillment in the last day, but it's being introduced now. You can see the the birth pains of it. It said, and because they love not the truth, God would send them strong delusion that they might believe a lie, where experience triumphs the truth of God's word. That's why Paul said, if I or an angel from heaven comes and preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. I have friends of mine in ministry who have went down a contrary path because they had an experience. Listen, a supernatural experience, seeing angelic visitors and the such. And the question is not, is it supernatural? Is was it divine? Was it holy or pure? So the, the, we are never to pursue experiences and you will have them with the Lord. But anytime that anyone tells you to disengage from your mind, you understand that your mind is the only thing that can process truth. And so I'm going to lay hands on you, brother. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now just, just clear your mind. Oh, no, no, no. Do you know how I was filled with the Holy Spirit? By myself, in my apartment, sitting on my floor. I'd unplugged my phone from the wall, put my dog outside, pulled my blinds with a Bible open in front of me. And I'm summarizing. I said, God, I've been filled with the devil all my life. But you said... If I desired, and I could cry out for this, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and rivers of living water would flow from me. This spake he of the Spirit, which had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And I put my finger on the Bible and I said, I want this. That's how I know I'm not going to get a demon. That's how I know I'm not going to have a false experience. I didn't disengage my mind from the truth. I stood on it. And I articulated it. So we never disengage. And uh, one other quick thing. Years ago, I took all of our staff to International House of Prayer in Kansas City for this reason. I just wanted to expose them to people that spent their entire life praying. So if these people, many of them, prayer missionaries, pray eight, nine, ten hours a day, seven days a week, my simple mind said we might be encouraged to pray more. Okay. Having said that, one of the first things they did was offer classes available, and one of them was on contemplative prayer. And in that class, five, six people, so what we have to do now is clear our mind, clear our mind. And I'm thinking, how, how can we go from praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the will of God and the word of God, and then I go in the little subgroup, and I don't think about the Word of God. Don't think about God. Clear your mind. Now, our goal is not to now say, is International House of Prayer this, or is Mike Bickle altogether this? It's to when you see something stray from the simplicity of knowing Jesus and everything flowing from that knowledge, back away. Don't entertain it. I'm not his judge. I'm not their judge. But the contemplative prayer, you know, the meditation, the, you know, sit with your legs crossed in a diaper, you know, and yeah, and yeah, and yeah, that kind of, mm, this mindset to empty my mind is the opposite of what scripture teaches. 
The Bible says in Psalms 1, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Meditation in the Bible is thinking upon the person of God and the words of God. Not the emptying of myself, it's the building myself up on the scripture and the person of God. All right, Wade, your turn. Wow, thanks. Yep. <laughs> it's always an honor and a privilege to follow you, Pastor John. I'm there for you. I know. Hopefully I can um, put a tee ball out in the tee for you here in a little bit. I need it. Um, <laughs> you know, I was just thinking through that. Rob Bell makes this statement that um, for us to put a claim on Scripture, is, it's, it doesn't justify, it's unjust to Scriptures because it doesn't make that. And then who wants a, a Bible that's not inerrant? And I said, well, I do. I want a Bible that's inerrant. Um, I want to know what truth is. I want to be able to stand on it and land on it and hone in on it. I want something to give my life to that matters. And I just want to give you six things. The Word of God is powerful. Think about this. When God spoke, everything came into existence out of nothing. There wasn't a, oh, here's, here's a bunch of Legos, now put it together. He spoke and everything comes forth. The word of God is powerful. It does, it goes forth and it creates and it does and it makes happen. Can I draw one distinction? So in creation, God speaks and things that were not were made out of things that do not appear. Okay. And all things are upheld by the word of that power. Is the same capacity, dunamis, might, power, of he spoke to the prophets and the Old Testament men and they were moved to record. So the creative power of God, it was in his word. The power of God is found in the word. So it's the same thing. Whether it's reading Isaiah or him in the beginning, it's the word of God that was the, the power of God expressed. Amen. Here's another T-ball. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. I, was I like, need them. The, like, yeah, that was good. Need them. the word of God is true. The Bible tells us that he does not lie. He's a God that doesn't lie. I can say this emphatically because when God says, it happens. It's true. How's it true? Because when he says it, it happens. It, 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 there's a substance to it. It's complete or it completes the act that God says it to do. The word of God is the gift from God. This is the gift that he gives us. Um, I love what he said in the video for he knows that for us to live by anything other than his word leads to our destruction. If we put our source of our substance on anything other than our word, he knows it leads to our destruction. And it's a gift from God. Let, let me add to the, or address the inerrancy part. Okay. I have people ask me, so you really believe the Bible is infallible? Yes. In its truth? Yes, absolutely. And they say, well, how, how do you think God has kept his word whole? In the same way he's done everything else. I figure if he could create everything, he could sustain that which he creates. And through the flaws and failures of men, even if the expression, if English is different than Greek and Greek is different than Hebrew and Hebrew is different than Latin and the Septuagint is different than the Old Testament and the New Testament, all these things are, they're different in their translation. I just figure God has the capacity and the ability to keep the word of God together, knowing that it is our baseline for everything that we are and everything that we shall need. 
The problem with this generation is there is no truth. We're in a relativism, postmodern generation. There is no truth. You have a truth. I have a truth. There's no baseline of truth. When I was growing up, whether it was about um, football or carpentry or accounting, there was a baseline of truth that you could go to, and the person that won the argument is the one that brought the facts to the table and said, you know, they said, well, the Atlanta Falcons, they're the greatest team. I said, you, you know, you hadn't won this since the Korean War. What do you mean it's great? As you look at your record, you go, oh. So when you brought the facts to the surface, the baseline of truth, if you argued from it, you could win. Today, because there's no baseline of truth in anything, did y'all read this week where Hasbro or Mattel or whoever, Mr. Potato Head is no longer a mister? Seriously. It's just Potato Head. Okay. Now, I said that to show you the absurdity of this. How can, how can I win an argument when you feel there's 56 genders? You know, how many genders are there? 56. Where do you go from there? So if you can let that seep into the church through men that can quote other scriptures and cause you to erode or infect the baseline of truth, we now have nothing to stand upon to prove our foundation is secure and our destination is real. We are either absolutely right or absolutely wrong. There's no in-between. And when Jesus says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. My faith, in the same faith that saved me, stepped out and grabbed, not by things that I see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I believe that Jesus was the Son of God, is the Son of God, died for my sins. I reach out and grab that. And that's my only hope. All my eggs are in his basket. I take that same faith and say, I believe that the God who designed it all and gave us the word of God, which he didn't have to do, is able to keep it together. Amen. I believe that by faith. They say, well, you're just ignorant, naive. Happily so. Securedly so. And confidently so. See, I got to preach. I can't that just man can preach. Sit. I gotta get well, sit somebody here. put a quarter in him. Something just popped into my mind. If all the world's religions are universal and we're all going to be redeemed anyway, then why is it so offensive to them that that's what you believe? So Bart Paulo says it's just a human book. If we agree with that, it is useless. The Bible is useless for you. Because once you pick out one part and say that's not true, you've, you've taken God off of the throne of your life. You're now sitting on the throne because you delegate truth. Yeah. And you pick out what's true in God's word. Jason, I want to answer that. You said, if all of us are going to heaven, why the hatred against Christianity? Okay, because this coexist, all roads lead to God doctrine originates with the father of lies. And the reason Christianity is hated is because he knows that it has the power of God to save every person. Amen. That's why it's hated. We got to get that off the pick, off the table, and then we can put all the other false religions together and hold hands because there's no gospel in them, and that leads to destruction. Christianity is hated because it's the only gospel that requires penalty to be paid, being guilt of the person. 
So <laughs> I would submit to you just in rebuttal to this idea that the Bible is just a human book and it can be full of errors. And when we say it's inerrant, we're wishing we had a different kind of book. The Bible is the only text we have that is not just a human book. It is the only text we have that is the inspired word of God. God breathed good for teaching, good for training, good for correcting, good for rebuking. All of scripture is God breathed. It is the only text we have that is not just a human book. And if we're going to say that in our infantile minds, the first century church was receiving God in some sort of way that we have advanced beyond, why do we still read Plato and Aristotle? Because weren't they centuries ago and weren't humans at that time infantile according to your framework? And so what understanding could they offer to the modern philosopher? I think that they undermine their own arguments with these exaggerations or trying to strip Scripture of its authority because that leaves you able to stand up yourself as the authority. And we, as prideful creatures, me especially, do not like the word submission. That was one of the hardest things when I came to Christ was this idea of submission. I had been self-sufficient. I had stood from... I was a Marine. I went to combat, you know, like I was... You can't tell me nothing. There's nothing I can't do. I can figure it out better than MacGyver. You know, who am I bowing to? And and that was some that was an issue that God had to root out of me and that was uncomfortable. We will read things in scripture that offend us. That does not mean that it is not good for us to read that. It means that God is refining us through the process of sanctification. He is bringing us into a likeness so that we can authentically represent him. Look Look how subtle this is. In their progressive mindset, you know, uh, ages and ages ago, centuries ago, we developed our idea of God and we pulled him down to ourselves. God is angry. Uh, God is wrathful. God is jealous. No. He revealed himself as. See, Jehovah in the Old Testament means the self-existent one who chooses to express himself. I choose to reveal this part to you. I, I choose to reveal my righteousness to you. I choose to reveal the, the capacity for judgment and care and preservation and love that he demonstrated. You know, God didn't just create hell to send us, you know, like he's just sending you to hell. No, we were born in sin and we were on our way to hell already. Amen. But he stepped in the way and provided a way of escape. We didn't create our understanding of God. That's the exact opposite. He revealed himself. So when he shows us in his word who, we, who he is, we then automatically see who we are. Listen, there's no one I know that needs a savior worse than me. I absolutely need and have a savior because without that, I have no hope. How did I know that I did not have hope? His word told me, John, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. What can a dead man do for himself? Nothing. There's no, what righteousness can I bring to the table? How can I assist in my salvation? I love the analogy, and I've shared it many times, of being born again. Unless you be born again, you must be born again. Why do you always preach about being born again? Because you must be born again. You must be born again. What part did you play in your first birth? 
Very, very little. I mean, you I drew. Cried. You cried. <laughs> you drew breath. You okay? Now there is a. It's not a perfect type, but God used it. You must be born again, which meant that we were born not of the will of man, but of the will of God. So my mom and my dad decided on me before I knew there was a me. He planned on our redemption before we were. So that lets us know that we must approach salvation on his terms. And the reason there's so many false conversions and false believers that are going to stand in front of him on that day and use his name, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and done many mighty, wonderful works? He says, I don't know who you are because they did not approach him on the only available avenue of access to God, the narrow way where few find it being Christ and Christ alone. Because broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many go in thereat. And one other quick thing we didn't mention last week about hell. I want you to be a student and go look it up. Like Jason said, you can look online. There's a place in the Old Testament where it says, Hell hath enlarged itself. Hell hath enlarged itself. To take in all of the people that do not know Christ. Its mouth is stretching to take them in. That, that causes me to... No one wants to think of that, much less speak about it. And did you know that Christians, to avoid that uncomfortableness, will not speak about it? No, hell is not the deterrent. We don't, we don't come to Christ just to escape hell. But, but we must know the reality of our condition before our soul cries out in the place of our dead spirit and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's the awareness of where I am, where I can't get to, and what awaits me if I'm judged for my sins. Now, the reality of hell for the believer is not a motivator for me to serve the Lord. It's the motivation of my worship when I realize what he rescued me from. God, that was me. Didn't nobody deserve it like me. And to think that I have a robe of righteousness. Yeah, you see? So the reality of hell does not cause me fear. It makes me active in my worship, in my ministry, in the sharing of my faith, and the presentation of Christ for the condition of our sins. Man, well, that takes me to point four. That, point four. The, the word of God is alive and active. Not only in us, but it brings about salvation and produces fruit. Um, just like we heard this morning in the baptismal tank, um, that it was the word of God that brought about salvation. It wasn't the work of man. It wasn't uh, the work of the individual. It was the work of God through his word. His word is still active. It's still going forth. His word is redeeming. It brings things that were dead to life. Uh, like, I mean, that's what you were saying. Like, what can I offer? I'm dead in my trespasses, as the Bible says. But that's the word of God. It redeems. It brings the things that are dead into life. And number six, and I'll slow pitch this and y'all can have fun. Um, it's for everyone. The word of God is for everyone. You don't have to be a, a priest to understand it. You don't have to be a pastor to understand it. You don't have to be a Bible scholar, an expert to understand it. There are men that died so that you could have the Bible translated into your language so that you could read it and the Holy Spirit can speak to you. And if that hasn't happened 
Can I submit to you, would you pray that God would do that? He would reveal his maker's word known to you. If it's been a while since the word has come alive to you, would you cry out to God and say, open and reveal your word to me? Jason, would you give just a brief, if you can do this now, a brief like one sentence, two sentence, uh, Calvinism, Arminianism, the two takes, you know, of, of election and predestination as compared, because then I'm going to tee myself up when you do that. Yeah, one of the hardest theological concepts. Give it to me in two sentences, Jay. Three sentences. <laughs> He's buffering right now. Yeah. All right. So basically, you have a theology in Calvinism that you are made righteous through your works. And Arminius would take the stance that you are not made righteous through your works, for you are made righteous through the finished work of Jesus Christ and the expressed worship of your works are for your neighbor. Your neighbor sees that there is something different in you. You are representing Christ. There is a light they can see. There is salt that they can taste when they interact with you. And that's why works are important. It's an emphasis of works. Why are works important? Let's, let's distill it to that. Do works save me? No. You know, there's no value in my works as far as salvation. As Pastor John has used this illustration, if you open up your iPhone to change the screen and you blow it up and you take it to the Verizon, they say, you voided the warranty, you touched it. That's the same thing as adding works to the blood of Jesus Christ. When you go before God and you say, hey, uh, why, why why are you saved? And it's like, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, nothing else. No, nothing else. If I bring the thing I did for Sister Sue when her husband passed away and then the, the lawns that I cut, you're bringing works and you're voiding the warranty. Amen. And What about predestination? Some are predestined to be saved. So when we're dealing with election, that is a very complex and deep study. So God knew you before you were knit in your mother's womb, okay? You... Uh, God does not work in linear fashion like we do. He knew everything from the beginning to the end. God, uh, Christ was slain before the foundations of the earth. So I do not believe in limited atonement, which is a Reformation view, which says God died for these and not for those. Okay, these are the elect, these are the saved, these are not. It says in the word, whosoever comes before and calls upon the name of the Lord and repents of his sin and turns from them and puts all their hope in Jesus Christ, they are saved. Yes. So that's, that's what we believe. That's the word of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this idea of election, well, also Saul got knocked off his donkey on the way to wipe the church out. Did he enlist? Did he like sign up on that before he left Jerusalem or something? <laughs> was there like a, a ticket taker? And he was like, oh, well, I'm signing up for authentic uh, experience with Jesus Christ before I leave Jerusalem. Boom. And then the ticket number came up while he was on his donkey on the Damascus Road. I don't think so. <laughs> so there's times when God just moves but did he move in arrogance or ignorance? No. He knew who Paul was. He designed Paul for a purpose. And Paul's past had a very specific and, and immutable impact on his ministry. So God can use everything that the enemy used for bad and use it for his glory when we submit to him. Amen. Will you move that pulpit out here for me? Guys, would you give them a hand this morning? Just honor their ministry. Let's move this back. Thank you, sir. 
Give me about five, eight minutes here. Be careful not to get bogged down. Uh, And by bogged down, I don't mean you can't address it, but a lot of people, well-meaning as well as plants of the enemy, are in churches that just want to debate with you, just to debate with you. Do you believe in predestination or human will, human will? Now, I'm going to go ahead and muddy the water and tell you your pastor's opinion. I didn't read this in the book. I didn't hear a sermon on this. In the same way, God can be both loving and wrathful. I believe it's both. Oh, that's a cop-out. No. I believe it. So the story Jason was talking about. So Saul is on the Damascus Road on his way to murder Christians. And a light shined from heaven and knocked him off the donkey, blinded him, and Jesus Christ appeared before him. Jesus Christ addressed him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? <laughs> That's just funny to me. Who, who are you, God? He said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. Stand to your feet. I've appointed you to be a missionary for me. It wasn't, hey, Saul, would you pray about coming into the ministry? Would you think about it? It's just, it's just it's up to you. Think about it. Get back with me. Let me know. Stand to your feet. Yes, sir. So there's election. But he was also at a point in time where the hidden dealings in Saul's heart were not revealed to you. And you don't know what that event followed up on that brought him to a whosoever will. I think in that moment he willed. And you can't get away from whosoever will. Well, if God hadn't chosen them, they wouldn't call upon him. Whosoever will, that originates with the man. So it's imperative for us to know that it's the God of judgment that gives us mercy. It's imperative to fully appreciate the gospel. This is not me ascribing a mental assent. Yeah, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The devil believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Salvation's fullness comes when I understand my position in the story fully. When Roger Wood and Sandra Wood had John Wood, I was born in sin before I committed a sin. Sin nature, the sin genome. My spirit was dead. By hearing the gospel of my deadness, of my hopelessness, of the wrath that awaited me, because the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And there is none righteous, no, not one. And the wages of sin is death. Put me in a position that this whosoever would call on the name of the Lord. You've got to rescue me. You've got to forgive me because I can't approach to you through a church system or a Sunday school class or a a pastor's hands or being christened as a baby or through someone praying last rites over me. I have no standing before you. You've got to have mercy on me. And then I hear about the cross. And I realize that fits because if I was to be judged with a wrathful separation from God, 
You start putting the pieces together when you hear the gospel. And the Bible says that Jesus cried from the cross as he became sin for us. God placed upon him the sin of all the world before Jesus and all the sin to come. And God turned his back upon his son. That was the exchange. That was showing the the displeasure. The rejection of Jesus was not of Jesus the son, but of the one that became sin for us. And he cried from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was me. I see it. He was forsaking my sins. He was turning his back, but not me, the person. So you do the exchange. Jesus was rejected that I might be accepted. Jesus was poor that I might be rich. Jesus was led outside the camp that I might have an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God. He was stripped of his robe that I could be clothed with mine. And the gospel becomes clear. Him for me. Him for me. Him for me. He is my Savior. Not from the devil. Not from hell. But from God. God's wrath against me. Now, you want to hear humbling? When the scripture says that I am the righteousness of God... In Christ Jesus. Not I have some of it. But I am in Christ and Christ is in me. So as far as God sees, it's like you've heard me say you put the tea bag in in the hot water and it becomes tea. You can't take the tea out of the water and you can't take the water out of the tea. I am in Christ. And Christ is in me. And when God sees me, it's like he looks through a sheet of the Son of God's blood. What do you see, God? Purity. What? I lift my head and square my shoulders as I walk, not because I am good, but because he is sufficient. I am righteous. So see, the more you learn... Here's, here's one of the distinguishing traits when someone you say is deep in the Lord. You know, that's a broad term. They're deep. They're knowledgeable. The more they know, the lower they bow. The lower they get and they go, God, you're just so good to me. God, you're just so good to me. The, the, the more you know, the less worried you are about tomorrow because if he spared not his own son but delivered him up for me, will he not with him freely give me everything else I need? I'm secure. I'm whole. I'm well. I'm not aspiring. I'm working from salvation, not toward salvation. The people with the alternative view on this video series never know where they are in that moment. Because in their own words, they're always evolving, changing. The only progression in my faith and in your faith is as we, as we learn and respond to the word of God, he comes into clearer view. I'm not any more saved. So when I was born that day, I'm an hour old. Am I more of a wood today than I was in that moment? No. But I know more clearly who I am today than I did in that moment. How many have been saved less than a year? Glory to God. How many? (laughs) How many five years? Less than five years. Okay. How many? I'm just going to skip to all old people. 
How many have been saved over 30 years? Okay. Do you understand you're not more saved today? Really, not only just go nod. No, you're not more saved today than you were my sister that was in that baptismal pool. And so see, it's imperative that we know the gospel and the reason your pastors felt so burdened about this and would dr not drag you through, but this is what we're doing. And we got two more weeks if Jesus tarries. Our kids now say that all the time. They don't even know what it means all together. If Jesus tarries, we're going to, the pool, we're going to clean out the pool and swim. If, if Jesus tarries. <laughs> I want you to be able to sit down with your nephews and your nieces and your grandkids. And when they ask you, say, let me tell you what the gospel is. It's not just Jesus died for your sin. Let me tell you our condition. And let me show you that there's no hope for people like you and I. And you let that hang in the air. And then you say, but then Jesus came. Born of a virgin. A sinless life. And that lamb was slain for my sins and yours. So imagine, if you will... And I'm already starting to have the talks with my little girls. My boy, last night we were, can I just talk to you out of my heart just a second? I'm going to anyway, so whether you want me to or not. <laughs> we're talking about worship and we're about to play a song. And I said, okay, kids, close your eyes, close your eyes. And remind me where my spot was because I'll forget. Uh, close your eyes. And okay, whose voice do you hear? And they said, daddy's. I said, how you know? Because I know what you sound like. And I said, okay, mama, say something in a minute. So it's real quiet. I said, close your eyes, Elijah. He's looking around, close your eyes. And Kelly says something. Mama, I said, how do you know? I said, because we know what mama's voice sounds like. I said, close your eyes. So when you sing to God, did you know he knows what your voice sounds like? Okay. So as we share these things, we have that same power to share with our friends. You're helpless. There's, not, there's nothing you can do. Say, so what do I do? You call out for mercy. Because Christ has already reconciled you to the Father. The path is made. But you must fall upon that rock, which is Jesus, and be broken. So that that rock does not fall on you and are crushed. And then I, I can't tell you how many times in my life. See, you think he does that. He's a preacher. You get paid for that. That's what you get paid to do. You're a pastor. I can't tell you how many times in my life outside of this church, I've led people to Christ. And I turn in my Bible to John 1, 12. And I say, you read this to me. You tell me what this says. But as many as received them, received him, to them gave he the power, the right, the privilege to become sons of God. I said, that's who you are today. You believed, you called on the name of the Lord. There's nothing you can do to be more saved than you are today. You're as saved as I am. You're as saved, and I can, I can watch. As I said, now it's going to become more clear to you and more real to you. The progression is in your understanding of it, not in the reality of it. There's no progressive Christianity. I'm the Lord, I change not. That Bible you hold in your lap, listen to your pastor. If you ain't never learned anything else from me, I want you to know this. Start with me and any other preacher that you ever hear. If it does not line up with that Bible, they are wrong or lying. It's the more sure word of prophecy. 
Pastor John, an angel appeared to me last night in my house and it was nine foot and it was real. And he said, did it contradict the scripture? Well, he said it was new. Nope, nope, nope. That Bible we hold, Sheila, we've built our life on it. Don't abandon it now. And I don't really have time to address this, but I just want to throw it out there and I'll unpack it later. I believe if Jesus tarries, great deception's coming to the Western church. Great deception. I believe you will see local pastors perform signs and wonders. I do. And I believe they will be not divine. I believe they'll be supernatural. Before the judgment of the Lord, I believe there'll be that continued falling away and those with false gospels. It's just my opinion. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. And they'll swayed people with signs and wonders. And because they love not the truth, God's going to send them strong delusion that they might be, believe a lie. And in the hour of Antichrist, he too is going to be able to call fire from heaven and deceive the elect. How can I know that I'm not deceived? In a sentence, it's this. In a sentence. So imagine the circle around it. You draw your line around it. If it does not begin with, continue by, and find its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, it is wrong. It is wrong. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Pastor John, I don't think I'm saved. I, that lady said she's in church her whole life. I just, I think I see now the fullness of my depravity and the richness of his love. And I want to ask Jesus Christ today to forgive me of my sins, to be my substitute. John, I ain't joining your church. I don't need no help from you. I need a savior. Christ, the lamb of God. If that's you, just slip your hand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. God bless you, sir. God bless you. That's two. God bless you. With no one looking around. And for the believers here, I'm going to realign myself and recalibrate myself by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's my plea, Lord. If that's you, just hold your hand up. Now stand up with us. Stand up this morning, would you? Pastor Wade, would you come pray over us? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mighty work. What you did on our behalf that we couldn't do. What you made possible through your son's gift on the cross. And Jesus, that you would lay down your life. No man take it. You would lay it down so that you could take it back again to show your authority and power over everything we'll face. Thank you that you demonstrated your life and that you, you promised that you would fill us with your life, that you would give us your power to go forth and live your calling and do your works. Would you do that in us today, Lord Jesus? 
Fill us anew with your power. Fill us anew with your strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you, church. Don't forget tonight, 6 o'clock, either in the grill or online.